Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Hey there, everyone. From KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. And today on The Breakdown, we sit down with one of California's rising political stars, Long Beach Mayor Robert Garcia. He's received national kudos for his city's successful vaccine rollout. We'll talk to him about that and the toll that the pandemic has taken on his own family. Yeah, a lot to unpack there. Um, I'm sure, sure we're not the first to call him a rising star, Scott, but uh, yeah, we'll get to well, that or too. Or the last. Well, no pressure, no pressure. Um, you know, Scott, speaking of maybe former rising stars, current, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> um, Governor Gavin Newsom, well, just, you know, he's been around for a little longer than Mayor Garcia, right? Um, he is, as most of our listeners probably know, been facing increased criticism for his handling of the pandemic and all of the fallout from it. And for the first time really since before the election, we have gotten some new numbers, approval ratings from two different polls. Um, wait, Scott, before we get to the numbers, set up the, the weirdness of how these polls came out. This yeah. Week. It was a little unusual. A little unusual. So let's see. Last week, I actually checked in because there hadn't been a poll in a while. So I checked in with Berkeley IGS, Mark DiCamillo, and PPIC. And I said, hey, do you got any, you know, any uh, polls in the, in the field? And PPIC said, yes. As a matter of fact, we're going to have one out this week. And uh, actually, uh, Berkeley IGS said it was going to come out later. And then uh, the PPIC poll comes out. Uh, and then suddenly we get uh, actually a, a notice of it comes out. And then the IGS poll comes out like <laughs> saying, hey, surprise, we actually have this poll on the recall question and on the governor's performance and some other things. And it's going to come out for Monday, we're kind of scooping PPIC. And so we were all kind of like scrambling around and then PPIC uh, released theirs the next day, Tuesday. So we had these dueling polls coming out. Which with, were taken in almost identical time periods during basically the last week of January. Right? Yeah, and we should just sort of bottom line the top number that everyone was looking at was Newsom's approval rating because it had been really high previously. In the Berkeley IGS poll, it was down from 64% approval in September to 46%. Uh, and then the next day, PPIC came out and it was a little higher. It was uh, 54% among all Californians, 52% approval among registered uh, voters. So I guess we're kind of left scratching our heads like, so what's <laughs> yeah. the number? What is the real number? And, and when you look at the plus minus, and they're not that far apart. But clearly, no, but I think everyone would agree his numbers come down. His numbers have come down, and I don't think that's a surprise. I mean, former Governor Gavin News or <laughs> Jerry Brown was talking about that yesterday on Forum. How you know? I mean, it's you. You generally, if if you are well liked, might come in with these higher numbers that you never really get back to because reality sets in, and you got to actually govern, right? Um, but you know, the, the, to your point, he was in the sixties as of last year. I think in terms of approval, these polls have him you know, somewhere between high 40s, low 50s when it comes to approval. Um, 
And and so to your point, Scott, I mean, I got a question from someone at KQED, like, that doesn't sound like that different. Well, it does if you're facing the possibility of a recall. Anytime you're below 50%, it's not great news. Um, but it does seem, and both of the pollsters, you know, who did these, Mark Baldessari and um, Mark DiCamillo, who are very well respected, I think both feel like, you know, this is very much because of the pandemic and totally. the schools and the vaccines and the testing. I mean, so he has an opportunity, it seems like, to turn this around. Totally. You know, we always say polls are a snapshot in time. And I think that's especially important for these polls because we're in the midst of this, what I've called like a toxic stew of negativity. You know, the vaccine is kind of out, but it's not really widely available yet, where there's a transition of administrations in Washington. Right. Uh, there's been on again, on again, off again, and then now off again. Um, uh, closure, stay-at-home orders, and so the businesses have been frustrated. Teachers and parents are frustrated that yeah. schools aren't open. So, you know, it's it's not a great time to be taking a poll when you're asking about, you know, gov the governor's approval rating because it's yeah. uh, people are frustrated. Yeah, and I think that, you know, as much as January felt like the longest month ever, um, Joe Biden has only been in office for a few short weeks. We haven't really seen what a new administration is going to do. Um, so that could all help Newsom, but, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste, right, was the former Obama advisor line. Uh, Kevin Faulkner, former San Diego mayor, did announce just this week that he is jumping into the governor's race uh, in t for 2022, although he could be on the ballot earlier if uh, this recall does qualify. Uh, you talked to Mayor Faulkner. I mean, what's your sense in terms of this is still a blue state? I mean, Democrats have an advantage. Where, How is he trying to kind of thread that needle? Yeah. And just for a moment to go back to that poll. So uh, in spite of Newsom's problems, just 36 percent of voters in that uh, IGS poll say that they would vote to recall Newsom. So, you know, he's got a, Faulkner and any other Republican has a steep uh, road to climb, but he's, you know, he's positioning himself. He, he, he governed as mayor, uh, as mayor in San Diego as kind of a moderate, uh, tried to distance himself from Trump on things like the border wall and some of the harsher immigration, anti-immigration policies. But, you know, the problem for him, and we've talked about this this week, is that he voted for Donald Trump, not in 2016, but in 2020, after all uh, his, uh, you know, we've all, all the things we saw. And so <laughs> too, know, much, like, really? too much to, to, to list. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and, no, and if you're going to try to position yourself as sort of a moderate alternative, you know, I, that's a problem potentially for him. Yeah, it's a little um, surprising to me because, to your point, he was very... Uh, I think fastidious during the earlier years of the Trump administration to kind of distance himself to not, you know, to not distance himself entirely from the party, but to try not to, to sort of tread that line carefully. And I think um, I would assume that because he has been vocal about deciding to make that vote and talking about the economy and what Trump did for it, that that was a political consideration, right? And and I'm curious to see, um, you know, how he'll campaign and and obviously how Californians will hear that message. All right, um, we're going to take a short break now because we have a lot to get to with our guest. When we return, we'll be joined by Long Beach Mayor Robert Garcia. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer, and we are thrilled to be joined by Long Beach Mayor Robert Garcia. Mayor, welcome to The Breakdown. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So we were we were commenting in our Slack channel. You you might look even younger on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's good. Thank you. Um, well, we want to talk about really your you have a very American story, I think, and, uh, and 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 political career. But before that, the news of the week is obviously vaccines. It's been for several weeks, and your city, Long Beach, is really being held up in some ways as a national model for the way y'all have handled this rollout. Um, the New York Times called you out this week. What are you doing in Long Beach that might set you apart from other jurisdictions really on your borders? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, we're really grateful, first of all, having an amazing team, obviously, at the health department. They've done a phenomenal job. I think that there's a few things. Uh, One is a decision I think we made really early on um, that kind of changed the trajectory for us when it comes to vaccine rollout. And I think when when vaccines first started coming into uh, health jurisdictions, uh, and we started vaccinating our first folks towards the end of December, like like most uh, health departments and cities, um, a lot of jurisdictions made an early decision that they were going to kind of plan out their vaccine over many weeks or over many days, that they were going to set aside um, X amount of vaccine, you know, for X amount of people for three weeks or for four weeks. Um, we made a very early decision early on, um, and we'd been discussing vaccine rollout for probably you know five, six months prior to getting the vaccines, that we, our goal was going to be to run out as fast as possible. And instead of overly planning, I think sometimes bureaucracy gets in the way of, of doing the right thing. Uh, we made a decision that we're just going to try our, our best to run out as fast as possible. And so we got through it really, really fast. And we kept hearing from other jurisdictions um, that, you know, they were having problems, you know, getting the vaccine off the shelf or they weren't able to schedule certain events and they kind of timed it out in a certain way. And, and we, I think, did the opposite of that. And so it allowed us to uh, really quickly vaccinate our, our all of our healthcare workers, um, 100% of our nursing homes, which got done, our paramedics, firefighters, our dispatchers, our police officers. And then pretty soon, um, you know, when the governor said, hey, start vaccinating folks um, uh, 65 plus, we, we started doing that the, the next day. Um, and it was so successful that we became the first city uh, to then start vaccinating teachers. And we've done 6,500 educators in mm. Long Beach. 
I think we're the only health jurisdiction or only city to have done not just uh, start our K-12, we started our community college. And this week we actually started vaccinating Cal State Long Beach. So they're the first state university that started getting vaccinated. So the faculty, uh, custodial staff, staff workers. And, you know, we've, done about, and we've done about 2,500 also of our critical uh, food care workers. So mm-hmm. like the supermarket, uh, grocery workers, uh, folks that are working at the farmer's markets. Uh, I mean, that's just also, sort of so that's so impressive. I mean, I guess one question I have is, have you gotten more vaccines per capita than other places? I mean, it just seems quite extraordinary. So I, I, the, the way the, the vaccine has been distributed has been around uh, population size. And so uh, around for, from a population perspective, we haven't received you know, uh, much more than other, our other cohorts. I just think we made a decision early on to get it out fast, which allowed us, allowed us to move faster through mm-hmm. the, the different tiers. But also we took an approach where, you know, if we're going to have conversations around reopening school campuses or we're going to talk about protecting food workers, then we got to include them in, in, in vaccine. And, and there's a misnomer out there that somehow um, teachers aren't in the same category as 65 plus. They're actually in the exact same category. The state mm-hmm. classifies them all in the exact same tier. It's just folks are choosing to, to, pos- to not educate or to not vaccinate educators per se. So that's something that's 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 the case. So. Okay, so a lesson that maybe other places could take is go go big, go fast, don't hold back second doses, just do what you got. But I'm curious because one, it almost seems to fly in the face of what we see nationally, which is that smaller states where there was a real centralized vaccine approach seem to do better than big states like California. We have a very decentralized, as you said, health system, counties, cities have a lot of control. I mean, what are your lessons then that, that, that the state should take elsewhere because of that setup and the fact that, you know, the the, the state's not actually getting the vaccines in hand, but as we just discussed at the top, Newsom's getting all the blame for what happens with them. Yeah, I mean, I think first, I, I, I think the state is actually in the last few weeks have, have are making some, some some changes that I think are really important. I think one of the things they're doing is they're making sure they have their better controls in place as it relates to who is actually getting the vaccine and then what percentage of that vaccine is actually getting into people's arms. And I think early on, you had the state kind of get the vaccine out to, I mean, really thousands of providers across the state, not just counties, but small pharmacies, um, small nonprofits. And what you saw in a lot of the region down here in Southern California is is these hundreds of organizations that had access to vaccine, but no way of knowing whether that vaccine was actually getting to people and or whether it was sitting in some closet. The state is now creating a system where they're going to be able to mobilize vaccine, where it's at, uh, who should get it. And then if, if an organization is not using it, bring it back in and get it to a, to, a, to a jurisdiction that's getting the vaccine out. So I actually commend that step forward. Uh, and from, from our perspective, I think when you know the state told us early on, and we took, it, we took it quite literally, just get the vaccine out. And I think you know the, we'll, we'll handle the second doses. Is it riskier? Yes. I mean, I had health folks in, in our city that were not crazy about our approach. They thought it was a bit risky, uh, but we don't have time to waste. And to me, it makes absolutely zero sense. If you, if you view a vaccine as a life-saving opportunity and, and as, as the ability to possibly save that person's life that you're putting the vaccine into, why wouldn't we want to run out the next day? Yeah, yeah. It, it Let, makes absolutely no sense to hold on to it. Let me ask you about one of the controversies that's popped up, and that is the hero pay that uh, the city council and you have approved for uh, supermarket grocery store workers during the pandemic, a $4 an hour raise. It's temporary. Uh, obviously, supermarkets have been super busy, but Kroger, one of the big chains, uh, said, well, they, they don't like it. That's too much money, and they're threatening to close two of their supermarkets in Long Beach. What's your, what, do you, what do you make of that? 
I mean, I think it's shameful. I think that that you you tell a grocery worker that's been working, uh, you know, nonstop that is exposed to more people than probably any other type of worker during this pandemic, or working their butts off that they don't deserve a few more bucks an hour uh, during off the backs and the, the profits of these companies are off the backs of these workers. Kroger, uh, according to the Brookings Institute, <laughs> made almost double their profits. I mean, record profits. And, and you're not going to share some of that with the employees. They, th- At the height of the pandemic in the summer, they had done some level of ha- hazard and hero pay. And now that it's absolutely worse, they're unwilling to do so and instead are buying back stocks for, for shareholders. So I think that to me, it's very, uh, it's the right thing to do for these workers. And it's not just Long, I mean, Long Beach, we have maybe been the first in the state to do so. But now, days later, Los Angeles passed Heroes Pay. San Jose has done the same. Oakland just passed Heroes Pay as well. So I think they're wrong. And um, I think we did the right thing. Speaks to the economic debate playing out at the national level with the minimum wage. I want to uh, tell our audience, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Marisa Lagos here, as always, with Scott Schaefer. Today, we have Long Beach Mayor Robert Garcia chatting with us. Uh, Mayor Garcia, let's go back to the beginning. We want to talk about your life story. Uh, you were born in Peru and you came to the United States with your parents and I think uh, grandmother, grandfather um, on a visa when you were just five years old. Tell us about that journey and what you remember about Peru and why you were all leaving. Yeah, I mean, um, I think, you know, my, my my immigration story is pretty typical. I think my family were, were in a situation in Peru at the time where there was a lot of uh, unrest in the country and there weren't a lot of jobs and it was just a difficult a place to be for my family, like like a lot of folks that, that come to the U.S., they were just searching for a better life. And so my mom and dad made the decision to kind of move the family to uh, to the United States. And uh, initially we had come on uh, temporary visas. Um, and, uh, you know, my family made the decision that the United States would, would, would provide a better opportunity for an education and for work. And my mom, as soon as we got here, uh, uh, my mom started uh, working at a thrift shop. It was her very first job. Uh, pretty soon she started working at a clinic. Um, my parents ended up separating when they got here, but always just really, really hardworking immigrants. And um, we just, you know, we learned to, to get by like everybody else. We wanted to become citizens. It, it, it took us a very long time. I didn't become a U.S. citizen until I was 21 years old, and my whole family became citizens around around the same time. Uh, but they worked really hard, and they worked really hard so that I could be the first in my family to go to college so that we could uh, build a better life, you know, here in the United States. Did, did you and leave I, Peru for economic reasons or what was absolutely. the... Absolutely. I mean, it was economic reasons. It was, it was, I mean, my family, it was both economic and uh, the, the country was really unstable at the time. There was domestic terrorism going on. Peru has always had a history of very difficult leadership and, dif- and difficult governments. I mean, just look at the, I think they, you know, every, almost every president that that, that, that that Peru has had over the last couple of decades is... Uh, ended up in really hot water, so it's not a it's a, it's a tough place, um, um, and so that's where they they came to the U.S. and I think about uh, we were so fortunate that at the time in the in the 1980s that there was actually a bipartisanship around immigration. I mean that Ronald Reagan, a Republican president, would sign an immigration bill that created a pathway to citizenship for all of us that were in the United States, and we were able then to become U.S. citizens. Um, and so you did become a U.S. citizen. You ended up going to college. Um, it, I want to talk about Ronald Reagan, though, because you were registered as a Republican, and it wasn't. Um, and it was for a while. I think you changed. Uh, uh, you, you know, you worked on behalf of George W. Bush as a college student, or maybe right out of college. I mean, can you talk about 
why, I mean, it sounds like the, your immigration story is a big reason why you registered initially, but was politics something your family was interested in? And, and did you feel a close connection to the GOP for a long time? Yeah, my family was, no, well, no, first of all, nobody in my family was political, uh, but we loved Ronald Reagan and uh, like obsessively in my household. Um, we viewed, what, what did that obsession look like? I mean, what, <laughs> what does that mean? It was a very typical immigrant, immigrant family that didn't really know a lot about politics, but the man on television gave us an opportunity to become Americans. Mm -hmm. And for, if you talk to a lot of like South Americans that, that, that immigrated around that time and they became citizens, they love Ronald Reagan. And everyone in my family, I remember, and I remember coming out of my immigration naturalization ceremony. And again, I wasn't, I mean, I was in college. And, um, and immediately, of course, uh, registering as a Republican because that was, it was Ron, I remember the big, even the big image of Ronald, that Ronald Reagan, like standee that was out at the, at the fairgrounds. <laughs> And actually, in fact, it wasn't just me, me, my mom, my dad, we all became Republicans. And um, we were very like, uh, kind of like loyal to the, this uh, the, this man and, and, and the party that had helped us become um, citizens. Uh, but honestly, really quickly, it kind of like turned sour. So, I mean, kind of around college and post-college, uh, we all got a little bit involved. And then um, around that time, I started realizing also that, uh, that I'm gay and my family started realizing, and we were becoming a little bit more educated about kind of what the political system looked like. Um, and, uh, and it just wasn't going to work for us. And so over the next few years, actually my whole family became Democrats. Um, everyone in my family that was once a Republican is now a Democrat. Um, and we just really felt unwelcome. Um, and it really wasn't that Ronald Reagan party anymore. And it hasn't been for a really long time. So you switched parties around uh, just before you ran for the city council, I think, maybe a year or two before. Yeah, a few, a few, a few years before. I think I actually think I was a decline the state uh, for a year or so and then became a Democrat. It's kind of like going from being straight to bisexual to gay. Yeah. Well, before we uh, – yeah. <laughs> yeah. so when you're running, you're, you're, you're Latino, you're uh, former Republican, you're openly gay. So which of those was the biggest problem for you? If any, uh, well, when I first, I mean, first, I, I mean, when I ran for for city council, uh, I was so I was I was you know pretty young, and um, I uh, I think honestly the hardest part for me was being gay. Uh, mm -hmm. Than anything, I mean, by then I was you know I was I was becoming uh, more liberal by the minute, you know, I, you know, as I the thing about a lot of gay people, basically, was for me is there's a lot of self-hate that you have to deal with in, in, in coming out and who you are and growing up, particularly me for as, as, as Catholic and in this kind of conservative family. And so, you know, my coming out process aligned with like my political coming out process. Mm -hmm. Cause you, you get to a point where you realize like, okay, what, are, what do I really believe in instead of what I'm told to believe in? Uh, and who am I really as a person and who do I surround myself with? And, and you, and you stop, um, kind of self-hating those parts about you that and you come to grips with them. And so for me, when I came out fully as gay, I became, I, be, I started, you know, being surrounded by my friends that were also gay. And all of us were like, this is great. This is who we really are. And, and you form your own political identity separate of what you think you are or what you're told you should be. So uh, as that happened for me, um, I, you know, became very clear to like, uh, who I was politically and I, you know, never looked back and just really proud of, of that progress. And I think early on being gay when I ran for the council was the most difficult part. I, I would get, you know, still like nasty little letters and notes and uh, the door slammed in front of my face. Uh, and, um, 
you know, and I think the former party thing was never never really an issue, um, uh, nor was as much me being Latino as it was being gay. Just for people like us who keep asking you about that, um, <laughs> about the Republican thing. Yeah, yeah. What what you mentioned, I mean, coming out, how was that for your family? Were they accepted? I know you were very close to your mom and, and she passed away last year of coronavirus, COVID-19. She's very, they're very accepting, um, actually. Uh, I, I, that's one thing I'm very grateful for. Yeah. I, the person that was the least accepting was myself. I mean, I think I think I was at least accepting. Uh, my family was great, so it took me a while to kind of figure out my own uh, my own issues and, and uh, uh, you know and, and and figure out kind of the the challenges that I went through during that time. And, uh, and but I came out of it, I think, a really strong, uh, centered, uh, happy person, and I have been you know for a long time. Maybe this is a good point to ask about your your mom and your your stepdad, who both passed away from COVID in the past year. What you know? What did you get from them, especially your mom? Uh, and uh, you know, how do you think it's shaped the way you think about the pandemic, if at all? Well, I mean, I certainly am a product of my mother. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I mean, my stepdad's amazing. I mean, the kindest, best person ever. But I, you know, from from uh, from like who who do I who I to resemble? I mean, I certainly am a, a product. I think of my mom. I'm very similar to her. You know, the the one thing that I think really got me into why I actually kind of, kind of got into education and started teaching and why I went into, into uh, government and, and, and now mayor of the, of the city is my mom really instilled in me and in my brother th- this idea of like giving back to your country. And she would actually, you know, she really believed in, 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 in you always give back to your country more than it's given to you and that you, we earned, you know, we earned citizenship and we gained citizenship. And that was a huge honor and, you should. That's a that's a that's a process that um, for us took such a long time that instilled in me a sense of like of helping people and, and of service, and so that's the thing that they imparted on me the most. They're they're you know my mom passing and Greg and Greg passing. I think what it what that has done really for me in the last you know six months or so is it's really freed me in a way to like always do the right thing, like, like no matter what, like I, throughout the pandemic, like going through that, it was really traumatic. It still is obviously. I mean, we were at the height of this, of the crisis and then they both uh, contracted COVID. Uh, but I don't have to ever like think about or think about my actions. I, I, I know that during the crisis, like supporting health, supporting science, being focused on doing, on, on pushing back on this craziness of, of hoax and, and, what the, and what President Trump was doing was so easy to do. Because that's what exactly what my mom would have done as a healthcare worker. I mean, she was a healthcare worker for 25 years, so they've given me a lot of strength. And you, you know, you asked about the vaccine earlier. I view like I view that also as like my mom would have been one of the first in line to get the vaccine because she was a healthcare worker. And so I want to help. I want to help save as many lives as possible. And that's also why I'm so motivated. Yeah, and we're so sorry for you. I can't imagine just like having to pivot from that huge personal loss to, you know doing your job every day and i know that you have done it tirelessly um we have a few minutes left we want to ask what's next for you and um you know what you've been thinking i know that there was a recall potentially against you and then it got dropped um mayor tubbs (laughs) up in stockton another young up-and-coming uh democrat of color actually lost his seat so i'm I'm just curious kind of if you guys have talked and and what you think's next for i guess both of you really well, first of all, Michael Tubbs is one of my my, my best buds uh, from like a mayor perspective. So we actually talk all the time. Uh, I, I I I am a huge fan of his. Um, yeah, I, I think listen when you when you try to do uh, 
uh, kind of big things. Um, you know, sometimes folks, there, there's folks on their side that are, that are not going to like it. And I think that, um, uh, it, it, for him, he's a, he's a superstar. So I, I'm, I'm his biggest fan. So I, I wish not worried about him. Not worried <laughs> He'll about be back. Uh, you know, as far as, as, as what's next for me, I, I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I, we've also tried to do big things in the city and, and that's okay. And, you know, we've, we've put forward a big, uh, progressive, uh, you know, pro worker agenda in our city. And I'm really proud to stand by that. You'd run for reelection uh, next year. I, I could, I could run for reelection, uh, one more time. Um, but uh, I'm not that sure. Door, I heard that door opening. Where is it going? <laughs> no, I, I have not. I have not made a decision about what I'm going to be very. I'm very honest. I have not made a decision what, what, what I'll do. I, I'm sure I will at sometime in the next few months. But I'm very open to whatever's next and and continue. You know, do it as best we can. But and I and I say this genuinely. I feel I feel incredibly resp- like in this moment just responsible to to ensuring we get past this vaccination process. So once we, I feel like you know once. My, my biggest responsibility right now is getting people vaccinated. It's what we all should be obsessed with. Anyone that's in an executive role or in charge of uh, a city or a county, if they're not waking up every single morning and thinking about how I vaccinate more people, then like they're not doing their job. So that is the most important thing right now. And post that, you know, we'll see. Um, but I, I, you know, I'm just wor- working to build relationships and support other people. I'm sure we'll be hearing more from you. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Real quick, what do you what do you do for fun? Uh, well, right now I, I hang out at home with my cat and my husband uh, for fun. There's not a lot to do. When I when I used to be able to do things for fun, I uh, used to love going to uh, the movies and you know go, going out to eat and, and all that stuff. So not anymore. Is your husband yeah, political? For fun, political? No, is your husband yeah. political? My husband is a political science professor. So. Uh, he is on the faculty at Long Beach State, and he always tells me that he's the one that does the real politics. And, uh, <laughs> wow. So uh, You get a daily you know, critique. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, there's always this debate. Through, through, a, through a theoretical lens, yes. Yeah, so his, his stuff is uh, in some ways harder. There you go. There's the ding, the theoretical. No. <laughs> Mayor Robert Garcia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. Our producer is Guy Marzarati. Our engineer is Katie McMurrin. KQED's team includes Holly Kernan, Ethan Tovin-Lindsay, Vinnie Tong, Erica Aguilar, and Jonathan Blakely. I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter cleverly. It's at Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. You can find me at M. Lagos on Twitter. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Hi there, I'm Randa Fatah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.